0: morning, everyone. Get situated. Ooh, that's loud. Y'all need extra loud, Hank. Can you hear me? All right. I think you can hear me okay? Yeah. Um, This morning, we're going to be continuing our series, uh, Miracle Making God Known. One of the things I've kind of had as a goal for this series is to take us back to this place where we realize and we hold on to the simple idea that the God who's so big and such the God of the universe only desires to be known to us, his people. And there's, there's many different ways God reveals himself. I've chosen four. And the four are creation, compassion, justice, and provision. One of the things we've been focusing on, though, is that we often tend to have this disconnect between, you know, who we understand God to be in the Old Testament and, and who we see in Jesus. We see this disconnect because when we look at the Old Testament God, we have these blinders and, and there's this bent that he's violent, he's virulent, he's vengeful, he's extreme. And when we look at Jesus, we, we also have these blinders on they're like, well, Jesus is peace and love and everything that's good. I don't understand the Old Testament, but but Jesus is who I understand. And in a lot of sense, that's good for us, because who is Jesus but the perfect manifestation of God? Who is Jesus but God fully revealed? So even though it's important for us to understand that God is contextual, you know, a lot of times people hear that, they're like, I don't know what that means. All I'm trying to say is, wherever you are, God's there with you. <laughs> Whatever you need, God's going to be that for you. And, and in the Old Testament, it was different. God had to reveal himself in a different way. Just like if you look at your life, how God revealed himself to you at 7, might be a little different at 17. And it might be a little different at 67. It might be a little different at 47. Whatever you need, God is. Amen. And God is also whole. So one of the things to help us through this disconnect is to just say, you know what? Jesus is fully God. That's where I'm going to rest. Because this God of the Old Testament is still the same God in Jesus I serve. Just like Jesus is still revealing the God of the Old Testament. God reveals himself over time. What I love is that John, Jesus' best friend, says no one has ever seen God. But Jesus, who's in closest relationship with God, has only come to make God known. One of the things we who grew up in church, when we see these miracles, we're like, oh my gosh, God is so powerful. He's so good. He's so amazing. But what I want us to hold on to is God knows he's powerful. God knows he's good. God doesn't do miracles to show his power. God does miracles to make himself known. God does miracles because sometimes it's very easy for us to take our eyes off him. God does miracles because this world is so hard and it's so easy to stop looking up and to look down or to only look down and look on ourselves. So God is going to reveal himself. And that's what he does in Jesus Christ. Jesus also reminds us in this great invitation to all his disciples that he's going to make heaven perfect for us. But even right now, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is an invitation for us to come to the Father. But what I love is he's not just an invitation. He's an image of the Father. So we don't have to go forward and be like, what is God like? If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is like, look at Jesus. And this morning, we're going to talk about compassion. If you want to know what compassion is like, look at our God. Writer of the Hebrew says Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Colossians says the Father was pleased to dwell in Jesus. We have to defeat this disconnect, not by conquering in our mind, but by holding on to this reality that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though we might not fully understand him, if we want to start to begin to understand him, look at Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Kings chapter 19. This morning, we're going to learn about God the compassionate. First Kings chapter 19, we'll be reading the first 18 verses. We'll also have it up front. Starting at verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. When he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. "'He looked around, and there was by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. "'He ate and drank and then lay down again. "'The angel of the Lord came back a second time "'and touched him and said, "'Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you.' "'So he got up and ate and drank. "'Strengthened by that food, "'he traveled 40 days and 40 nights "'until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. "'There he went to a cave and spent the night. "'And the word of the Lord came to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel Mahaloah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you so much that you're a God of compassion. We thank you that one of the ways you choose to reveal yourself is through deep care, concern, consideration, and charity for us. God, we thank you that you're more than our feelings. We thank you that our feelings are valid, but even when we don't feel you, you're there. Even when we feel all alone, you're there. Even when we struggle and we can't see how you're moving, you're there. God, the compassionate, we thank you this morning. We can call you ours in the holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that's very, very interesting is that compassion is a word that those of us who grew up in the church hear all the time. Compassion is care. Compassion is concern. Compassion is consideration. Compassion is charity. One of the reasons I believe we hear compassion all the time is because God himself says compassion is foundational to who I am. It's foundational to who my people see me as. When you look at Scripture, you know, we've been studying a couple people over the last year. Think about David. How much did David rely on the God of compassion when he was on run from his enemies? After the sin he did with Bathsheba, after the sin he did in Bathsheba, really, After the sin of using his power for his good, after the sin of of counting up the men to show how powerful he is, how much did he rely on God's compassion? Or think about Sarah. She found out a couple weeks ago, it wasn't just, oh, God says you will have a son. It was decades upon decades of waiting. It was decades upon decades of everyone in her culture saying, you do not matter enough because you do not have a son. It was after decades and decades of her trying to help God along. How much did she rely on God's compassion? I think about Jochebed, the mother of Moses. When the law of the land said, kill the babies. When the law of the land said, okay, if they survive, put them into the river. She trusted that God had called her son. She trusted that in God's compassion, that God will provide, not just protect her son, but that God will raise him up. And he became Moses. But how about this? How many of us in this room are reliant on God's compassion in our own lives? The breath that you breathe this morning, that's God's compassion to you. The people you love and those who love you, that's God's compassion to you. The job that you have, and for some of us, the job that you don't have is God's compassion to you. Everything we have is because of our God's compassion. The Old Testament people understood it as hesed. The New Testament people understand it as agape. It was this idea that God is so compassionate, he will only work to do what's best for you. Our God wants to be defined by his compassion. Compassion is how God reveals his heart. Compassion. It's what led God to raise his people out of Egypt because he heard their cries. He saw their suffering. Compassion is what led God to provide for his people as they went throughout the desert, to give them manna in the morning, to give them a cloud by day and a light by night. God is compassionate as he leads his people. Compassion is even how God gives his law. One of our disconnects with the Old Testament laws, we look at it and we're just like, oh my gosh, I just don't understand this. But what you need to understand is for that time and place, this was grace. This was mercy. This was a God who sees. For example, one of my favorite of all the Old Testament laws, and I think it would help us, and I think it flows great with this sermon this morning that's going to talk about how God may have died for our bodies. God may have saved our bodies. God may have saved our souls. But never forget, there's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind that Satan is not going to let go. So, how God combated them to this law that we don't think is so unfair and so evil and so old, right? God says, if Satan wants to battle for your mind, every morning when you wake up, I want you to wear tassels on your clothes. And we said, what are tassels but my grandma's curtains? And God says, no, 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 no. In this day and age where they were, only kings and royalty wore tassels. So every single morning when a child of God in the wilderness or in Israel or in captivity, when they got dressed that morning, they said, God loves me. God thinks I'm royalty. God thinks i matter. How many of us need to to wake up every morning and say those same words. That God thinks I'm blessed. God thinks I'm royalty. God thinks I matter. That's why he gave them the law. You know, one of my favorite laws is actually in Leviticus 19. And you see God, who's this God of grace, and he says to the people, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the graves that have fallen. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigner and the alien and the stranger. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Our God gives grace through his law. And we may not understand it, but maybe we need to do some work to look a little bit harder. But in his law, our God is saying, I have provided for you so that you can provide for others so that all among you may know what? The miracle of God revealed. God provides his law as a grace. And think about Israel in all its glory. Israel and all his glory, they all, instead of taking their eyes on God and keeping it on God, they thought the glory was the temple. They thought that the relationship with God was this religion based on the temple. So God says, you want that temple? Great. But you know what that temple shall be? My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. Israel wanted it to be national. God says, I came for all my children. Israel wanted it to be about themselves. And God's compassion says it needs to be for everyone. And what a message to us this morning. Our faith is not for us alone. Our God is not for us alone. Our God is for the world. And our faith and God's compassion needs to leave us to be for the world. Because if you're only about you, I would argue, I would reckon that you're not about God's work. If this life is only about what's good for you, I would argue and I would reckon that God's compassion needs to come upon you because God's compassion is not just for you. It's for your sister. It's for your brother. It's for your world. And God's compassion probably shows up the most through his covenant. God made all these promises to Israel. And if you want a summary of the Old Testament is the people fall short, but God's love is greater. And as a kid growing up in church, I used to sit there and be like, I just don't understand these people. God's done so many great and wondrous things. How do they keep turning their eyes off him? They can't even do their part. And then I grew up a little bit, and the Spirit said to me, I sent my son for you. I died for you. I'm living in you, and you still fall short. Don't look down upon the Old Testament people for falling short because God has gifted you the greatest miracle, and that's making himself known through Jesus Christ, and you still fall short. But God's covenant isn't about us falling short. It's about God's love never falling short. That's why we breathe this morning. That's why we have our being this morning. That's why we have our mind and a hope for a future this morning because God's compassion fails not. And God's compassion leads to God fulfilling promises. One of the best promises in all of scripture. I think it's ironic that it comes from a book of crying, a book of lamentations. In Lamentations 3, God says, the word says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isaiah the prophet says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord God is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. When we talk about God's compassion this morning, may we be reminded that the breath we breathe, that the lives we live, that the people we love, that the things that we do, they're all due to our God's compassion for us. They're all due to our God's grace for us. And that's hard for some of us because we like to believe that we do it on our own. We like to believe we got our brains and we got our hands and we worked really hard. Yes, you worked really hard. But praise God, he gave you that brain. And praise God, he gave you those hands. And praise God, he gave you those people. And praise God, he's given you that breath to breathe. The reason you're here this morning is because of God's compassion. That's it. The reason you're breathing is because of God's compassion. The reason that you love is because God shows you what love is. The reason that you hold on to people is because God held on to you. The reason you've been blessed this morning is because God desires to use you to be what? To be a blessing for your world. This is all important because one of the things about Elijah's story that I missed for years is that Elijah's story can very much be our own. Elijah is this fascinating character. And before we get to our text this morning, we got to be reminded who Elijah was. My introduction to Elijah, I don't know, I just didn't pay attention to Sunday school, but it was a great Rich Mullins song, and it was called Elijah, right? And he says, when I leave, I want to go out like Elijah with a chariot of fire. It'll be like Central Park. And I lived in New York or outside of New York City. So I was like, I know where Central Park is. I don't understand this chariot of fire. And is God serious that this guy led by a chariot of fire? So I went to the scripture. I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? I want to read about him. Elijah never died because God came to him and literally took him up to heaven with a chariot of fire. And I said, oh, I got to read more about this guy. And here's the thing we need to understand about Elijah. His name itself means my God is Yahweh. His name, people think his name is um, is so big that they don't even think that was his birth name. They really think that Elijah was a title given to him because God was number one and God was number one always. And they looked at him and says, there's an Elijah, which makes sense. Because when you get to Malachi and it says Elijah will come again, there's Jews to this day who are still waiting for Elijah to come again. And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it wrong. My God is Yahweh. The one who puts me first is my cousin, John the Baptist, who prepares the way. And if Elijah will come again, remember my transfiguration. But the idea of my God is Yahweh was meant to describe who Elijah was. And you have to hold on to this because before we get to where he ended up, you have to know that Elijah was a strong person of faith. And even that didn't protect him because he lost that battle of his mind, even if it was for a second or two. Second thing about Elijah, because God was number one in his life, he was bold. Our introduction to Elijah comes when he comes onto the scene where there's been this line of kings who have all been evil. And at the end of their epitaph, at the end of their life, it basically says, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then when they got to the king who is now in power, Ahab, it says, he did the most evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what they were doing wasn't just pulling the people away, wasn't just giving their hearts to other gods, but they were even bringing those other gods into Israel and forcing the people to worship them. Elijah shows up in this scene. Think about this boldness where the people are bowing down to Baal and Asherah. Elijah, who no one knows, we still don't know if he's a Tichbite because he's from Tishbe, or if that was like a place that he was from. We don't know where this guy comes from. But when he shows up on the scenes, he looks around and he says, Ahab, (laughs) you're going to have drought. There's going to be no more rain coming. The water's all going to dry out and that's his introduction to power. Think about the boldness of Elijah. Ahab has all the power. He's intermarried to other um, kingdoms around him. That's where Jezebel came from to consolidate his political power. The, the, The prophets of Israel are being killed, and Elijah shows up and says, hey, guess what? There's no more rain coming, and the reason Elijah did that was because God was with him, but also the number one God that Ahab and Jezebel and Israel was following was this God called Baal, who was the God of rain and thunder and lightning and dew. So Elijah's immediate challenge is, you think Baal is God? We're going to take away all his power. And he does that. And then he runs. Because he realizes when you drop a little bit of bad news that the people don't really want to hear, it might cost you your life. And what is fascinating about him running is that even though the land's going to dry out with water, our God's compassion leads him to a brook. And even though he's on the run from his enemies, you know, I don't think of ravens as provision. I don't think of ravens as people I want to hang out with. But God of all the animals, you see, there's a Baltimore Ravens fan getting offended. Nobody talking football here. We're talking about the actual ravens, Terrence, the actual ravens with the claws, you know. Huh. Well, Elijah got food from the ravens. This is, this, is, this is actually the most positive thing I can ever say about ravens. Just let me say it. God legitimately chooses ravens out of all the animals to bring him food and water. Out of all the animals, God elevates the ravens and to provide for him. But guess what? Three years of no rain means the water runs dry. And then God's compassion sends him to this place called Zarephath, which we don't even think is in the kingdom of Israel. See, why God always cares about the alien and the foreigner is because to God, no one's an alien. And to God, no one's a foreigner. And to God, no one's an immigrant. To God, all are his children. And the reason out of all of Israel, God's people, he sent his prophet Elijah to a stranger was to remind his prophet and to remind us that every single person matters and that the kingdom of God is more than borders and that the kingdom of God is for everyone. So God sends Elijah and he goes to this widow and he says, I'm hungry. And the widow says, I got a little bit of food, but it's for me and my son. And God puts the word on Elijah's heart and Elijah says, No, 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 don't worry about the oil, don't worry about the flour. Just make me something to eat and it'll never run dry. And that's one of my favorite promises in the Bible because I'm like, listen, Elijah makes sure that God's going to do great things, but he's like, God's not only going to do great things, but you take care of me and God will take care of you. And that's what happens. The water, the oil doesn't run dry, the flour doesn't run dry, but the boy gets ill and the boys get sick, and he dies, right? And this battle for their mind, even though God had been providing for them for probably weeks, we think, maybe even months, when the son dies, she takes her eyes off of God, takes her eyes off of Elijah, and she says to him, why have you come that my son may die? But what's the true miracle of scripture? God desires to make himself known. So Elijah cries out to God, He cries out to God. He puts his head on the boy's body and says, God, I want you to be known. And there's the story of the first resurrection in all of Scripture. That's who Elijah is. I want us to understand how powerful of a person Elijah was and how powerful of a thing God did with Elijah because we need to understand that we can lose the battle of the mind no matter how strong of a Christian we are. No matter how powerful we are, no matter what we've done, we can lose that battle of the mind. Elijah then shows up after the three years. And I think it's fascinating that before he goes to Ahab and before he goes to Jezebel, he meets a man by the name of Obadiah. Obadiah was pretty high up in the government, but he loved the Lord obadiah saw all the killing around him but he saved the people i like to call him obadiah schindler because that's what he did he got a hundred of the priests and he put them together he hid them in caves and i don't even know how much it is i barely know how much milk costs, right like i don't know how much milk costs, but he fed a hundred priests on the run from ahab and jezebel out of his own pocket but even though he did all that and god provided him when elijah comes back and says hey Go tell your boss I've showed up. Obadiah says to Elijah, my boss will kill me. Because every time anyone says something, he kills them. And, and if he doesn't kill them, he makes them swear loyalty to them that if they show up in their house, he's going to kill you then. You know, so if you're like, Elijah's here and, and Elijah's not there, he says, okay, if he ever comes back or is in this area, you're dead. So Obadiah, again, this great person of faith takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he takes his eyes off of God, the Father, I mean. And and even though he knows God is powerful and all that, when life happens to him, he gets to a point of down, and he gets to a point of depression, and he gets to a point where he's like, God, help me, because Elijah, they're going to kill me. And yet, Elijah, who's going to struggle with all these same things, God uses him to be an encourager to Obadiah. And the word is simply this, Obadiah, God's got you. You're going to be okay. And then he goes to probably one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. He goes to Mount Carmel. And this is a story straight out of, you know, to me, this should be a movie. I don't know why no one's done this before. Because Elijah goes to Mount Carmel. He goes to Ahab and Jezebel. He says, you know what? Get all your priests together. And they get about 850 priests. And we know there's maybe 100 priests that are hiding out under Obadiah's watch. And we know there's Elijah. And that's it. So they have 850 priests. And Elijah says, you know what? Israel, God's people, how long will you waver between following God or following idols? How long will you dance back and forth? And he goes and he says, let's have a little test. And he builds an altar. He gets 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He digs a trench all around it. And he says to the pe- people, Baal is this god of water and rain. And you haven't had rain for three years. But let's see... Whose God is real? Let's see whose God is here. Let's see who God controls at all. And they, they set up the altar, and the bell priests get out. And they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're jumping up and down, and they're screaming. And Elijah, this is why he's one of my favorite people, because he's just a mess, right? He looks at them doing all this carrying on. He goes, huh. Maybe Bell's sleeping. Y'all need to yell a little louder, you know? Like, maybe he's traveling, you know? Like, he's not in town right now. You just got to dance a little bit more. And he's antagonizing them because he knows it's the foolishness of following idols, and we laugh at it. But how many of us know the foolishness of following idols that's called money or power or prestige or education or family? Elijah looks at the foolishness and the folly of them And he's taunting them Hey, maybe your God is sleeping, wake him up But Baal does not answer because Baal is not real And then to show God's power Elijah could have just been like, okay God, show up now, do your thing But he's like, no, 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 Elijah's a showman So he gets the rocks, he stacks them up He says, you know what, that's not enough, let's dig a trench I've never built an altar before But I'm guessing a trench is not what you want in an altar, right? Right? And then furthermore, I'm guessing if you want fire, you don't want to pour water on the animal or pour water in the trench. And he does that three times. And then he prays this prayer to God and says, God, I want you to be revealed. God, I want the miracle of you making yourself known. God, I want you to show that you're the God of the universe. And the fire comes down from heaven. And Baal's prophets and Asherah's prophets are all killed. And even after that, Elijah prays seven more times that this curse of drought would be lifted and it should be his moments of greatest triumph. But then we get to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, Elijah is on the run from Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah, who knows God's never abandoned him, who knows God even sent ravens for him, who knows God is always there for him? When life happens, He takes his eyes off of God. Elijah feels abandoned. Elijah feels sad. Elijah is depressed. And here's what I want you to hear this morning: None of us are immune. There's a lot of science will tell you the truth that for some people, it's just chemical. You know it's just some kind of chemical, and, and, and it's just, they're, they're more prone to it. There's a lot of people with depression that runs in their family. But we're living in a day and age. I believe that our, the generation that was ahead of me, how God made himself known, was through physical healing. I believe we did in a day and we live now in a day and age that God needs to do some mental healing. There's more suicide than ever before. There's more depression than ever before. There's people who are struggling than ever before. And I'm not saying if you struggle and that's where you are, it's not real. I'm just saying for those of you who do not struggle, you got to do the work of being God's compassion to those people who do struggle. And for all of us who are in this struggle together, we need to do the work of praying for our sisters and brothers. We used to want God to show up in a powerful way to give physical healing. I think this generation needs God to show up in a powerful way to do some mental healing. Because none of us are immune. And if it's not chemical and if it's not in your family, guess what the third one that causes depression? It's called life. I honestly believe we are all one big life change away from depression. I honestly believe that. I honestly believe we're all one change away from forgetting everything that God's done. And I think the story of Elijah, who's arguably the most powerful person in the entire Old Testament, who did some of the biggest miracles in the entire Old Testament, if he can suffer from depression, so can you. So part of what we need to do is take the stigma off of depression. If you're depressed this morning, hear me. It's not because you don't love God or God doesn't love you. If you know someone who's struggling this morning, tell yourself the same thing. It's not because they don't love God or God doesn't love them. Life will happen. Your genetics are real. Your family history is real. What's happened to you is real. Because sometimes what's happened to us or the environment we grew up in, it also leads to that place. But what I love about this story is that depression doesn't have to have the last word. It's that sadness doesn't have to have the last word. And please hear me this morning. I'm not saying it's going to happen quickly. I'm not even saying it's going to happen without a lot of help. But I'm saying I believe it can happen for you. And I want you to believe it can happen for you. You know, just this week, there was a young pastor, 30 years old from, from California, Jared Wilson who lost his battle with depression. And it was in the same region, the same area, where another pastor last year lost his battle with depression. This is real. This is something that people are battling. And I think if we are going to be God's compassion for the world, we need to first now pray. Pray that God will fill us up with compassion, because here's what I love about Elijah. He feels like he's the only one left. He feels like God has forsaken him. He feels like he's tried his best, and he can't even do it. And God doesn't go to him and be like, you're depressed, get over it. God doesn't go to him and says, you're sad, forget about it. God simply loves him. God simply gives him compassion, and then God gives him a purpose. I think those three things. I'm not a mental health professional. We got like 35 in this church. If you need one, I can recommend 35 to you. So they might not agree with me. But I think we who are not the professionals, if we can give love, if we can give compassion, and if we can help them find a purpose and something they can do, we can help a little bit. And I'm not saying we can solve it. I believe God can. But I think all of us can do our little bit by providing that love, that compassion, that safety of saying, I know you're struggling. I don't perfectly understand it, but I can hold your hand. I know you're struggling. I don't perfectly understand it, but we can at least sit here in silence together. I know you're struggling. I don't understand it. But come help out in youth group with me. We all need love. We all need compassion. We all need purpose. And that's what God gives Elijah. And I love that even though his life is filled with all these miracles, he asked God to show up. And God doesn't show up in a wind that was so powerful it shook the mountains. God doesn't show up in the earthquake. God doesn't show up in the fire. God shows up in a whisper. No matter where we are, No matter what we struggle with, let us pray that God can attune our our minds and our hearts to him so that we hear when he shows up in a whisper. Because God might send someone to you. God might reveal himself to someone else, and you might not see it, you might not feel it. But when God talks to you in that whisper, we need to be able to hear it. None of us are immune. Situations will suffer us. But this morning, all I can tell you is that God will comfort you. And my challenge to all of us is that we can be a comfort to our sisters and brothers. And it's not your job to perfectly understand it. It's not your job to solve it. Which is hard for some of us because we see people struggling. We see people hurting and we just want to fix it. Fix it. It's not your job to solve. People aren't riddles for you to figure out. But it is your job to love. And it is your job to be a safe place. And it is your job to be compassionate. And it is your job to hear them. Even when you don't agree with them, it's your job to just be there for them. And to my brothers and sisters who are struggling this morning, I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. I just want to say, I don't understand it, but I want to be here for you. And I want to say this morning, the fact that you're here is proved that our God is compassionate Amen. because you're still with us. You're still breathing. You're still fighting. And God is still living in you. Amen. It's because of God's compassion you're here. Second thing I want us to hold on to is that God's compassion leads to God acting on our behalf. God never looked down upon Elijah for doubting. He never looked down upon Elijah for holding on to the darkness. He never looked down upon Elijah for having despair. He simply showed up. It's okay for you to pray for God to show up, right? It's okay for you to pray that God would show up in this because he might be the God of the universe, but he's also the God of you. And I'm not saying he's going to show up on your time. I'm not saying he's going to show up perfectly in that moment, but I am saying he will show up because God's compassion leads him to want to act on your behalf. The third thing I want us to know this morning is that God's compassion is always here. You may not feel it. Trust me, it's here. You may not see it. Trust me, it's carrying you. You may not believe it. Praise God, it believes in you. And God believes in you. God's compassion is here. And I pray that if you don't feel that love and compassion, if you feel like you're on an island, I pray that God will manifest himself to you right now in this moment, that God will show up in a powerful way. But more than this moment, I pray that for the rest of your life, you will always know that God is love, that God is here. And God can help me win this very next second. Because for some of us, we want to conquer and eat the whole elephant. Just try to win the next second. And when you get good at winning that next second, you might even get it up to 10 seconds. You might even get it up to a minute and then an hour and then a day. And you might mess up or the feelings might come back and you got to start over again. It's okay. Win that next second. God is always here. And the last thing I want us all to hold on to when it comes to God's compassion, it's okay to cry out to God. It's even okay, I would say, to be angry with God. I got to be careful on this because I don't want you cussing God out because, you know, then then we all got trouble, right? But I want you to know that Scripture is filled with people who were angry and upset and they cried out to God and God can take it. God can handle it. But more than handling it, God can carry you through. God can carry you through. We're going to close our service singing one of my favorite songs. It's a song that simply says, your presence is heaven to me. And this song is important for all of us. Because no matter where we are this morning, no matter what we feel this morning, I want us to hold on to this simple truth. That God's presence is with you. And I pray that you feel it and you hold on to it. But I just want you to know this morning that wherever you are, God's presence is with you. And heaven is not just an idea or a hope or something you can never wrap your arms around. Jesus came to make on earth as it is in heaven possible. And if Jesus is with you and his presence is with you, it can be heaven to you. Even if you feel like you're in the pits of hell right now, God's presence can wake you up. Amen? like to also invite up any pastors and intercessors in the room, we'd love to pray for you for whatever you've got going on. But as we sing this song this morning, you may not believe it. You may not feel it. You may just think, I'm full of it. But I want you to sing it. Because the more you sing it, the more it builds and stays firm in your heart. And the more it stays firm in your heart, the easier it is to believe it. And the easier it is to believe it, then maybe you can start to feel it. Let's sing and pray together.
1: Who's like you, Lord? Who's like you, Lord, and on the earth? Match this love and beauty in this world. For nothing in this world satisfies. Your cup The more A dry Your presence Is here.